0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Heim. This week, our guest is former Solicitor General and Professor Emeritus at Duke Law School, Walter Dellinger. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write in to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to this week's sponsors, Stamps, The Jordan Harbinger Show, and Smith A.I. in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, uh, it's tempting to say that Trump's performance at that Texas rally was unhinged, but he's been unhinged for an awful long time. Uh, We'll talk some uh, about with our guest, Walter Dellinger, about this. But he really was uh, eager to start a race war. He lied that former Vice President Pence could have overturned the electors, said he would pardon those thugs who, uh, uh, inspired by him, violently stormed the Capitol if they aren't treated right. Uh, Maggie Haberman, the premier Trump watcher, says he's in a burn-it-all-down mode. How do you read him, James? I I, I think
1: it's hard, but... Because he's always so crazy, but I think this was a a outside the margin of error escalation. All right, and if I had one thing that I could dream, and you know, if I just sit tonight and I'd say dream, you know, maybe I could, blah blah blah. You know, it would be that he runs for president for Republican nominations and as a credential fight at the Republican convention. Oh my God, I'd give anything for that.
0: I mean that, that's my ultimate dream <laughs> I hope they don't allow i hope I mean, they don't allow heat on the floor because of
1: open yeah. carry open oh,
0: carry
1: man. open carry open bar you know open pot credential fight I, that's that's my dream
0: you know uh james there's a kind of a debate even uh, not just among Republicans and pundits about how much clout does he have how much has he been losing he's diminished in the polls. I, yet I am amazed the vast majority of Republican candidates running this year, and I did a fairly comprehensive search, they are embracing the big lie that the insurrection, uh, that, the, uh, that the last election was stolen. They are saying that the insurrection in the Capitol to overturn the election is not really that big a deal. Those are appalling uh, observations or er, positions. And Susan Collins, this is courtesy of the great Charlie Sykes at the Bulwark, she was just reelected. She's not up until 2026. She tries to present herself as the most independent member of the Senate. And she's asked if she would support Trump if he were the nominee in 2024. And she won't answer. She won't rule that out. I mean, honest to God, it's, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. You know, if you think about it,
1: they're just hoping that he goes away. All right. It, 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 it just—that That is the great hope. Now, if, if, to the question they ask people, you consider yourself a Republican, a more of a Republican, a Trump supporter. It used to be, I don't know, 56, 57 instead of Trump supporter. That number is down to 36. And the, the calculation they're making is that he won't be around. No one will remember this. People want to go beyond it, and they'll just say, let's move on. That's, a, yeah. that's the total calculation that they all make.
0: I think they're dreaming, uh, but, but I think it is. Because, well, I, you, you know, you look at places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and uh, North Carolina and those Senate primaries, same thing as a few few contested House primaries. You know what they're all fighting for? They're all vying for the Trump endorsement. Right. No, I mean, they are. But, I mean, it, it, that's 2022.
1: It, you know, let, let's see what happens between 9 and Election Day. But 2024, I think they're all banking, which is that he's going to be gone by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that. that, that so why do I want to why do I want to irritate people anymore? And I need to. And then when he's gone, they'll say, well, I don't want to talk about that. Let's let's talk well, about something. Well, again, be-
0: not drawing a direct analogy, but uh, history is full of people saying that the authoritarian, the bad person will just humor him for a while. Think Germany, the early 30s, and he'll go away. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they don't go away. And um and and if well, they elect a bunch of Trumpites in 2022, whether he goes away or not, all the bad stuff right. he brings uh, is going to be right there in the fore.
1: Yeah. What they, what no one knows is you may get a, a, a even worse right. version. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're not sure that you you're going to trade up, but that's the calculation. And I, I I would I hope he runs in 2024.
0: Desperately hope he runs. James, let me switch subjects to to uh, COVID. I mean, it really is, um, it is the best of times and the worst of times. It's the best because more people are getting vaccinated. Cases and deaths are coming down. There may be a vaccine approved for children under five uh, sometime later this month. I mean, that really is all good, good news. And yet it's also true that a new variant may be emerging, uh, that there this irrational resistance continues it's being politicized in campaigns all over the country um republican governor of ohio mike dewine who i think has done a half decent job if he loses it's going to be because he did a decent job on covid um i i i just uh we all want to open up james but man uh, as a political issue at least and as a health issue i'm afraid this is far from over
1: well, there's two things I read today. One of them, Dr. Tom Friedman, who's obviously, a, you know, a five-star kind of guy, said that if you're over 65 and you're vaccinated, chances are 52 times less that you'll be in a hospital, right? Which is pretty significant. But there was a Hopkins study of the, the review of the literature that I, I, I'm not technical enough to read. It's called A, a Literature Review of Meta-Analysis that Affects a lockdowns to COVID-19 Mortality. Jonas Herbie, Lars Jung, or something like that, Stephen. And it was characterized, and I, I, I'm not quite how i read it, is they had only a two-tenths of a percent effect on mortality. Well, if that's true, that kind of destroys the edifice of everything that we thought. But uh, people smarter than me would have to look at that study and see if it concludes with at least some people saying that it is. It, it was words, oh, all this is was a waste of time? I don't know. Wait a minute. Well, is it, what a waste of time? Lockdowns and school closings, according to what the way this research is being characterized, is out of Johns Hopkins, produced a two-tenths of a percent drop in mortality. If that's true, then wow! Well, why didn't we, why are they telling us that now? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I but but again, I don't want to. I want to be very careful. I, it's it's in very statistic laden language. And I, I, I could easily be mischaracterizing it. But I, I would sure like to ask somebody, what, what exactly is people saying? And it's what they call a metadata review, where they take all of the studies and, and combine them into this one study. But it's out of Hopkins. And, you know, it, it seems very credentialed and academic and footnoted and everything that these guys do. But if that turns out to be true, then people are going to have real well, questions.
0: and it's going to play into the hands of some of the Uh, Some of the deniers, unfortunately, but I hope it is true. Uh, I I, I would recommend, I didn't bring it with me today, Dave Landhart's piece in the New York Times today, uh, which goes through uh, all the data. And you are, I don't know, three, two and a half, three times more likely to die from a uh, car accident uh, than getting COVID. And if you've been boosted, uh, you're, you know, it's almost infinitesimal. And James, we talked about this before. There are an awful lot more Republicans than Democrats who are dying. Uh, right now, Don but, McNeil does the right, math.
1: Right.
0: If, if this thing, it's you know,
1: if, if it it's thin in a place like Pennsylvania, it's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it is. It, it is, and it, you can look up on Substack. The, 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 you know, he takes the mortality rate and the vaccination rate, and it, it's more than a more than a couple thousand
0: votes. Well, it's it, it's not I only mean, Pennsylvania, it, it, Georgia, North Carolina uh ohio it's uh, right right yeah. anywhere yeah yes but, but the, the thing is is i don't th-
1: i think the country most of the country is just done with it i i and again we, we talked earlier today duke played notre dame at home basketball last night I, I watched a game and i mean it was w- what you would think of a acc big regular season game and pack you know notre dame kid i see a person with a mask on screaming yelling hugging just whatever you think of a college basketball game well, I, I I just I think people have just concluded that they not me I'm still pretty cautious all right, but by and large the public has just said fuck it I'm done. Well, with.
0: I'm ambivalent. I'm 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 with you on this. I've got a on the one hand I've got a four year old grand child who, who i do not want them to close his preschool i mean i think it's really important and that applies for kids in elementary and middle and upper school we got to keep schools open whatever it takes and i know it's easy to say because i'm not a teacher at one of those schools so i feel that on the one hand on the other hand i do teach up at the university of pennsylvania on thursdays and james for 21 years i took delight taking the train up it's a wonderful train ride you can get some work done you can get some reading done it's five minutes to the university from uh, 30th street train station i don't take the train up now i drive uh just because it's 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 safer and i think that kind of ambivalence uh is 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 not uncommon at least here hopefully in a month or so you know we'll all feel safe about doing things like taking the train
1: Uh, you know you're you're more cautious than most people but i'm just telling you and I don't blame you. And I, 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 I still take precautions. I, I take risks sometimes too, but but it, most people are way beyond that. I mean, they wouldn't even. I mean, they just aren't thinking about it. And, and it's pretty clear that behavior. You know, Mardi Gras coming up down here. We got slaughtered by Mardi Gras in 2020. I, I I don't expect anything other than people out in the middle of the streets and bars and God knows anything. I mean, like again, yes, yesterday. Uh, I mean, uh, Sunday, the, you know, they were packed in these bars watching the, the Bengals. Well, let's hope I, they I, don't
0: go in the hospital, you know, a week later or two weeks
1: later. I know. Yeah. I, I promise you, I, I yeah. do, but they're not... It, it, they, and the polling is showing that 70% of the country, 78, is just... They're not doing it anymore. Now, I, don't, I mean, we do because we're more vulnerable in the risk category, but uh, it, it, it's just... It, it, this, this thing is... You know, until some other variant comes through and, and, you know, it's going to have a really suppressive effect on the December economy. Or everybody thinks that. And it, it does affect behavior, you know, enough on the margins that you can I want to it. tell
0: all of our listeners out there, many of whom who feel this way, uh, okay, make sure if you haven't to be boosted. Get that booster shot if you haven't gotten it. Ooh, that does make 52. a big, big difference.
1: 52 right. less right. times. If you said, here's something you can do that's going to reduce your chances of dying 52 right. times. It's pretty incredible. Good, pretty, good, pretty good idea, I think.
0: Hey, let's face it. Taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time. There are long lines and it can be difficult. That's why we recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps. Com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. And with Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place. Plus, big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. It's a must-have for any business. Whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, for anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It really is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time, money, and it's no wonder nearly one million small businesses already use stamps.com. It really is convenient, even for Carville Inc. Well, I tell you,
1: this is like some, some idea. Of, well, why didn't I think of that? You know, when you sit there, and you're right for small businesses. I mean. Uh, you know, delivery and it is, you know, be the Postal Service or, or UPS or anything, it's a significant part of their budget. And this thing's going to, you know, it's going to create a lot of opportunities for people to get raises, people get jobs, you know, for small businesses to, to reinvest and, you know, put the money in something else other, other than shipping. So I, I think it's a terrific idea. Oh, yeah. Terrific.
0: Agree. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. No risk. And with our promo code WARROOM, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in WARROOM. That's Stamps.com, promo code WARROOM. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. You also can find the link in our show notes. Hey, James, our guest is this podcast legal scholar, raconteur, and overall wise man, Walter Dellinger, former dean of the Duke Law School and Solicitor General of the United States of America. Walter, uh, some conservatives are indignant that Joe Biden has said he's going to choose a black woman to fill the seat of retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. Ted Cruz is outraged that he's eliminating
2: 94% of Americans. Is this really new? No it's not new at all um, you know but Donald Trump said he was going to name a woman to replace Ruth Ginsburg as soon as she stepped down uh, and Ronald Reagan of course famously pledged to name the first woman to the Supreme Court and did so um, I think a lot of Democrats have made a mistake of um, of 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 saying you know well look Reagan did it too uh, as if it were something bad but they, they did the bad thing, so why can't we, uh, when in fact there are some substantial benefits um, to uh, considering um, the importance of demographics in a court that looks like America. Uh, take, for example, the best example is the appointment of, of O'Connor by by Reagan. Now, he didn't have half the population to choose from, as the Senator Cruz suggests that The number of African-American women is a lot smaller than the number of women overall. But at the time Reagan chose O'Connor in 1981, you know, he was choosing people between 45 and 60 years old. Those were women who entered law school between 1943 and 1958, and that was a very small number, a very small number for all the societal and legal and exclusionary reasons that we, we know all too well. That was a very small number, and it's an even smaller number of those pioneer women, sometimes one or two, sometimes none to a class at a law school like Duke. Uh, they weren't often Republicans either. So it was really—so what, what? ironically, what the focus on limiting the choice to women that, that Reagan asserted, what that did was to force them to expand in other ways, expand in other ways, looking for um, uh, a justice. And that turned out to be very beneficial. They found Sandra O'Connor, who was an intermediate state court judge. She wasn't on the highest court in the state of Arizona. The first time any uh, intermediate state court judge had ever been elevated to the Supreme Court. But by expanding the search, they found gold in a way that they wouldn't have if they'd been looking at the usual suspects. <gasps> Of the white guy lawyers, uh, court of appeals judges, famous professors, etc., they would have missed out in a way that they found someone who, in Sandra O'Connor, had, had had to do all kinds of law practice since the big firms would not hire her. She she did it. She was a city attorney. She had her own storefront.
0: State legislator.
2: K-Mann. Yeah, she then ran when when she had her her her, her third child, she uh, went. To do a political volunteering, pushing the kids in a in a in a stroller for Goldwater Republican candidates, uh, goes to the state legislature, winds up in in two sessions becoming the majority leader. This was a great enriching experience for her. She was the only member of the court, and they're sadly missed now. The only member of the court who had ever run for elective office, and I think that is part of the of the the notion that. When you looked for a woman in 1981, you had to be open-minded about about how you did it. She was, in my view, the most influential member of the Supreme Court since William J. Brennan, who, by the way, I might add, was chosen because President Eisenhower wanted to appoint a northeastern Irish Catholic. Catholic, right? Going into the, going well, you into know, the election. you know. Yeah, we well, had one last point, Al. We had a southern seat on the court. From the time that the first, uh, the, the very first appointment of, of, of Justice Rutledge in 1789 until Hugo Black's retirement in 1971, there was always, always a Southern seat on the Supreme Court. And that always, of course, was a Southern white, white male. So, well, what there
0: also was, I think, and you correct me because you're the expert on this. I saw a New York Times columnist said, yeah, Louis Brandeis was appointed because— uh, uh, he was Jewish, but he was eminently qualified. He was. And his successor, uh, I believe, was Felix Frankfurter, who was Jewish, eminently qualified. His successor was Arthur Goldberg, eminently qualified Jewish. His successor was Abe Fortas, who despite his later problems was probably qualified and Jewish. Those, that, that, Nothing wrong with that. Those were all good choices um, uh, with the exception of the last one. And, uh, uh, you know, I I just I I think that uh, we want a court that doesn't consist just of Harvard and Yale Law School graduates who are members of the U.S. Court of Appeals.
2: And look, Biden could have avoided some of this flack by making a less categorical a less categorical statement about his selection process. He could have said, I am I'm going to place great emphasis on on diversity, uh, uh, having a an African-American woman would be a strong criteria. But the fact of the matter is, when he doubled down, after he took over the presidency and doubled down on this pledge that he would name uh, an African-American woman, he knew by then how exemplary was the group of women, African-American women from whom he would have a choice. Well, talk about a-
0: those three, Walter, who seemed to yeah, be well, the and Yeah, wait, wait, most-
2: one second, one second. And, and, and so, It's just typical Biden. He knew he was going to do it. Just the way Reagan knew he was going to name one. He knew he was going to do it. and He just said so directly. Yeah. So he's got great choices.
0: Talk of yeah. Give us a little sense of those of those three judges um, that that are seem to be the front runners.
2: Um, Well, uh, uh, um, Judge Charles from from South Carolina uh, is um, a district court judge. Has now been nominated for the Fourth Circuit. uh, uh, A favorite of uh, of Representative Clyburn. Uh, She has the advantage of not being an Ivy Leaguer for once, uh, having studied at her home state university, uh, as um, the kind of colleges the three of us went to, and at the University of South Carolina Law School, uh, very well-regarded, would be um, a very attractive nominee, someone with a little more experience is Ketanji Brown Jackson, who many people think would be the default choice um, added to the Court of Appeals and also very well regarded by her colleagues on the on the DC Circuit. Um, she has the benefit of having clerked for Stephen Breyer, uh, having that prestigious Supreme Court clerkship. And then um, Leandra Kruger, who is on the California Supreme Court, um, Judge Judge Kruger is is a really really high powered intellect. She was in the Solicitor General's office. Uh she was a deputy assistant attorney general at of the office of legal counsel. Uh I shared an argument with her and thought she was just dazzling in her uh in her in her intellect. Uh she's out there in California. Um she clerked for I think Justice Stevens so that we we talk about a well-credentialed group, but, you know, guys, people, if you think there are they're, 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 um, three or four names on this list, there are 40 qualified women, maybe 400 and counting. As uh, it, it, I just went through the roster of the African-American women lawyers I know who would be great Supreme Court justice, you can just go on and on. You've got corporate general counsels like Danielle Gray, who also clerked for Breyer, who's the General counsel at, at, at Walgreens, Teresa Roseborough, the general counsel at Home Depot, who clerk for Justice Stevens. Uh, this is a rich pool now, and the idea that this is some kind of narrow category, there are 25,000 African American women lawyers in America. And that is a, uh, it is now happily a very, very rich pool uh, from which to choose. James Carville.
1: So just to clear it up, it was five days before South Carolina were backstage and Clyburn, you know, asked him to, to, you know, say he was going to point a black woman. So he went out there and said it. And then day four before he endorsed him, I, I think it, it it was a pretty good political calculation, okay? He was going to do it anyway. And, I, you know, at the spur of the moment right there, uh, I, I think he made the right call. I mean, it would have been nice if he just said, uh, I don't think Clive was looking for, I would heavily consider, I would
2: be great, greatly influenced by it, but he, he
1: made the pledge. It, it, it's all history now. Mine's uh, critics
2: uh, are tying yeah. themselves in knots trying to distinguish Reagan's commitment to name a woman. They say, oh, there was a list that included men on it. Uh, but he's, the truth of that matter is, Reagan pledged to name a woman. He was going to name a woman. He did name a woman. There were some very right. activist conservatives around the Justice Department, around Ed Meese, were, that knew that it would be it might be hard to find a guaranteed a guaranteed conservative on every issue among the women Republicans in 1981. They were pushing hard for Bob, or Robert Bork, or Anthony Scalia as their choice for that first Supreme Court opening, but um, Reagan was steadfast. He said he was going to name a woman, and he did name a woman, and it is in his fact absolutely indistinguishable. Uh, and, and, and he didn't have a lawyer. There, there are probably more African-American women with traditional qualifications for the Supreme Court by far now than there were women lawyers with such um, uh, qualifications in 1981. Such has been the progress of uh, women and African-Americans in the legal profession.
1: Uh, back to the point, uh, of course, everybody knows that uh, President Bush forty-one he to appoint Clarence Thomas because he was the most qualified of the pool of potential Supreme Court nominees in the country. But, you know, <laughs> I point that out. So, well, to, shifting gears a little bit, how serious a legal jeopardy are these people that submitted these fake electors to the Congress? It, 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 I, I, I don't know the, the law, but it looks like if you submit a false document to an official proceeding or something you you're leaving yourself some exposure well there's only you
2: know i i I think they may have a slightly better case than most of the world thinks uh uh, james that the electors if they had been elected if they had been elected if they believed for example um we we, we thought about this suppose in florida that, that that Biden had won Florida, but the governor had, had, had falsely certified uh, the Trump electors, right? My view is that our Biden electors should meet in Tallahassee and cast their votes on election day and submit it to the vice president of the Senate. The electors are, are, are entitled to, to certify their own votes and send them in directly. But here's the problem for those electors. They did not win. They were not chosen. They did not get more votes than the opposing team. And to falsely... Assert that they were the ones that got the most votes. The hard part is going to be for the pro- for any prosecution proving that they knew they didn't get they didn't get the most votes. With all the misinformation yeah. out there, you know they might argue that they genuinely believe that they were elected as the electors. But there may be contemporaneous evidence that prosecutors could come up with that they knew full well. That the Biden ticket got more votes than their ticket. So, so
1: on another subject, we've told that uh, Trump was ordering people to tear pages up that were going to go to the archive. it says, I understand that that's kind of mandatory. That the stuff that gets turned over, is there any potential criminal problem with destroying documents that are that are heading to the archives, or is that is that just a kind of a nothing burger?
2: Well. Public records is is, is is very important, but when when it's the president himself has so much authority to inherently classify, declassify, that's probably not an issue, no. which doesn't mean to yeah. say that uh, the former president is without legal jeopardy. Um, my sense is that his, his conduct over last weekend, did you all get a chance to see any video of his of his of his public I, appearance? I, I did. It's really did. the most frightening thing. Yet. He was
0: reading from a transcript, too. Uh, it seems, Walter.
2: Yeah, right off the teleprompter, and he was saying, he was calling for revenge. He's going to pardon people that that physically assaulted the Capitol of the United States, to interrupt a most solemn function. Uh, I mean, there's no—he didn't just suggest he was going to pardon them. He said if they were treated unfairly, he would he would pardon them and then went on to talk about how unfairly they had been treated (laughs) that is like one plus one is two but I I, I, you know the misuse of the pardon power can be one of the overt acts as part of a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice or to interfere with the functionings of government Um, that's the president's power to pardon is, is plenary the saying goes but if he takes a $50,000 bribe to pardon someone, the pardon probably is still good. But the person who takes the bribe, whether it's a governor or president, goes to prison. That's pretty well established. So if he is offering a pardon as part of, of uh, another overt act to continue the, the conspiracy by protecting the conspirators, that is part of criminal liability.
1: Well, I'll turn it back to Alan. I'll just make an observation. He it struck me, and I watched it, and I was, of course I paid attention to what Maggie Haberman said. He, he, he looks like a man that's under enormous
2: pressure and is mad at everybody. He's got to be. He's got to be. His performance, um, it was frighteningly similar to what one saw of the worst. I, I never like to make comparisons to the worst dictators in history, but it certainly gave one tremors of, of you know nineteen thirty to watch that speech of his. But but here's the point. I think he feels like the posse is gaining on him. And everybody says or many people say, well well, Trump has always escaped liability. Right? He's always the trouble always gets out, always gets away. Well you know, they said that about John Dillinger too. Not a relative, but only a distant relative of mine by the way. They said that about Bonnie and Clyde. They say that uh, about Jesse James. Uh, John Goddard. Right. On, all John get away Goddard. with this stuff until someday it catches up with them. And I think what is must be frightening for Donald Trump, if he has conducted himself, as I would suppose, with less than uh, a great care about legal niceties, people, investigators in Congress and in prosecutor's office, they have virtually everything. It's really un, almost unprecedented how much information they have because of the, the nature and breadth of the, of, the, of the necessary investigations. The Manhattan DA has all of the tax returns and all of the financial records. We're talking way past a million documents. They got everything. That's because Trump had no choice not to turn it over because he did. He wasn't the custodians. The Mazers accounting firm was the custodians. Now I was assisting the Manhattan DA in that case, but I, I was screened off. I screened myself off from any of the grand jury information. So I don't know what the, what the, um, you know, what the facts are. We just went to the Supreme Court on that. Um, the Congress is getting an enormous amount of material, the Select Committee is being turned over because many all of that material that the Supreme Court recently uh, ruled, that's in the hands of the archivist. And if, if he ever winds up before the U.S. Supreme Court, it would be a mistake to think that the, quote, Trump just, justices, the three Trump justices, are going to vote for Trump. They care about a lot of things that, that I don't care about, a lot of conservative things, those three Trump justices. But they don't, you know what they don't care about? They do not care about Donald J. Trump. They've got no reason to, they've got life tenure on the court. And sure enough, in the case, the Manhattan DA's case, to get all of his financial records of tax returns, the vote was seven to two in the Supreme Court. And and Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch um, voted, voted, um, in favor of the DA's right to get that information. And it was eight to one rejecting Trump's claims to try to stop the the, um, the Select House Committee from getting information from the archivist, eight to one. So I, I think he's, um, um, if there is criminality there, he's got real trouble and there's a very big posse.
0: Yeah, and Walter, before we leave the Texas speech, just very quickly, I would note, among the other despicable acts that he committed that night was he basically tr- is trying to start a race war he said that yes. the attacks against him you are it's, it's racist look i mean there's a black attorney general in uh, uh in New York and there's a black chairman on the January sixth This guy is going to play the vicious race card every chance he gets uh, I he guess says
2: they are they are sick this is almost exactly what they're sick they're mentally sick they're racist um and if they treat him unfairly, he's calling for the biggest protest we've ever seen in New York, Washington, and Atlanta. It's um. It, um it's it's amazing. I know. Let me it, get back.
0: Uh, let me get back yeah, to the ahead. Supreme Court for a second. This this current court uh, seems poised to. Basically, overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, the conservatives outrageously endanger the health of Americans, I think, by knocking down a requirement that large companies require a vaccine or a test. Affirmative action is on their ropes, and they have their sights set, I think, on the press and protection from libel by public officials. Walter, that used to be called legislating from the
2: bench. <laughs> you know, I think the defining characteristic of this court if you had to come up with one word, is and is gonna be arrogance. Arrogance. That is they briskly act and write and question from the bench as if they know much more about what's good pandemic policy than scientists at HHS and at the uh, FDA and and the CDC. They know more than universities about what adds to the educational experience. They know um, um, they know that it is not that deep an incursion in liberty to make it uh, to rule abortion beyond the means of women who are who are most vulnerable. Women who are hostage to youth, geography, and poverty. They're going to find no refuge in this court because the court discounts the problems that they will uh, uh, that they will encounter it's very reminiscent of the court that struck down so much of the New Deal and also struck down laws like like maximum hour laws and and minimum wage laws and health and safety laws were struck down by the court that said that um, and they struck down the the, the the court that Roosevelt was trying to trying to put pack unquote it struck down the precursor to Social Security, the Railroad Retirement Pension Act. Um, and they said, we disagree. We do not agree, that court said, that pension programs help facilitate efficiency of uh, of, uh, of an enterprise like railroads and interstate commerce. That's a shocking statement. And that's what this we court is. We don't agree.
0: You know, I'm going to turn it back to James, uh, who may want to talk a little bit of football with you. With, uh, I think it was a Mr. Barrow, that you all may want to exchange thoughts on. But before I do,
2: just very, very quickly, what's Stephen Breyer's legacy? I think he will be seen as, um, well, I think his stature will grow in the light of the court that evolves uh, in the future because his humility, he was not actually a, a particularly humble man as an intellect, he, he was quite confident in his Harvard professor, uh, chief counsel intellect, but he was modest in terms of whether he thought that that intellect should be used to displace people uh, elected by 320 million Americans to office and uh, that that pragmatism. He's also a, in the line of, of, of Lewis Powell, Sandra O'Connor. Stephen Breyer is the apostolic succession of people who brought pragmatism to the court. That and an ability to say, I, "I'm not sure that I should be the one to to make a decision for 300 million Americans" will be his legacy.
0: Right,
2: James, you got anything
1: to touch to water about it? Yeah, I did. Want talk. I want to talk a little football. Um, so, you know, obviously we talk and followed up. Joe Burrows, like, if you're in the bars in New Orleans during the Cincinnati game Sunday, you'd have thought the Saints were playing. <laughs> I mean, just, it, was, it was unbelievable. They were all out in the street yelling and screaming. But this is what worries me. If, when, you know, you say, well, what about Josh Allen or Mahomes or, or, or anybody else? Burrow is the least protected quarterback in NFL. Yeah. He's been sacked 52 times. And he's going to have Aaron Donald... And Von Miller, you know, bearing down on him. Do you think I'm insane to be worried about my favorite athlete,
2: Joe Barr? <laughs> you're, not, you're not insane. Uh, he's, um, uh, uh, you know, he's, um, he plays a position that is so difficult. You know, uh, uh, Ted Williams once said that the hardest thing to do in all of the sport was to hit a baseball. And, and uh, that may or may not be true. I can't believe there's anything harder. Uh, in the world of athletics, more difficult than being an NFL quarterback. What you have to process intellectually in a matter of seconds, and you have to look at a field of people and realize where everybody is, no, not where everybody is, where they are going to be two, three, four, five seconds from now. Right? That's what you have to imagine and program in while 300pound people who are mostly muscle are trying very hard to hurt you very badly I, I just find that to be an extraordinary position uh, 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 to be in and and the preternatural calm of Joe Barrow you you, you see him on the sidelines and you would think it's uh, it's the Sunday afternoon football of the guys uh, the guys from the office against the guys from the other office Um and I, I just think um, um, he's, uh, he's got a long career, but uh, I think what, what Cincinnati needs to do, James, is to trade one of their excellent core of receivers. They have at least one more great receiver than you need. They need to trade one of those receivers, at least, for an offensive lineman.
1: So what? When, in this draft, everybody says they need an offensive lineman. Obviously, Barrett talked him into drafting Jamar Chase, which obviously was worked out pretty damn well. He's going to be the rookie of the year, okay? Because <laughs> Jordan Justin was the rookie of the year the year before. The two the two consecutive rookies of the year were pass receivers for Joe Barrett in 2019, but I think in Burrow's mind that he thought Chase was good enough and could get open fast enough that he was worth more than a a really valuable Mm -hmm. offensive lineman. But, you know, like everybody knows the Saints need a quarterback. Everyone knows that Cincinnati needs a real good offensive lineman. They're obviously not going to have a very low draft pick. I mean, if they – I mean, it's going to require them to be very smart to put – put a better offensive line together because everybody knows they're looking for it.
2: Like, you know, the New Orleans, the... it's interesting, the New Orleans adoption of a Cincinnati sports team is something that is familiar to me because in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, when Michael Jordan left UNC and went to the Chicago Bulls, there was an immediate uprising that required the local cable channel to start broadcasting WGN, the local station in Chicago <laughs> that carried the uh, the bulls game but it it was the same kind of phenomenon uh james people with 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 with, with jordan at the bulls it became like chapel hill in chicago with a fan base i will say when
0: tim when tim duncan left wake forest i spent 15 years cheering for the san antonio spurs those are pre-15 good years
1: right yeah no but i mean it was really remarkable down here and and i picked you know, against the spread in the local paper, and I said, "No way, I'm picking against Cincinnati. I'd get killed. I couldn't walk <laughs> on the street,
2: man." <laughs> James, are you going to? Are you go, James? Are you going to the Super Bowl?
1: No, no, my that. Uh, I'm stay here, but I, uh, uh, I'm going to watch. I mean, these games have just been oh, one of the greatest. No, oh, this has been a great January, man. <laughs> it's been something. I mean, if our opening round wasn't that good, but after that, two two incredible weekends.
0: Walter Dunger, we know you have another appointment. Uh, we can't tell you how. We can't tell you how wonderful it's to have you in the program, but also that you are the war room's legal, as I say, counsel. Uh, guidance. I mean, you are you are our mayor, our go to guy, and you always deliver. Thank you so much. Always. Am
2: I, I'm going to put on my resume: senior vice president and general counsel of the War Room. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know you, that right, it quite that ranks
0: good. up with Solicitor General and Dean yeah. of the Duke Law School, but we'll take it. All right. Thank you, we'll guys. Bye bye. Take it. We'll take it. Thank you very here. much. Thank you, Walter. Hey, James, we've got a different kind of a sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The show covers a vast range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests, and there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. We recommend our listeners check out Jordan's Conversations with attorney and author Daniel Levin about tracking down missing persons in the Middle East. I mean, that really is something interesting. And with retired NBA all-star Dwayne Wade about his career and taking those lessons beyond the basketball court. They're both spectacular episodes. Now, there's an episode for everyone, though. No matter what you're into, the show has covered stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia, Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on and off the pill can affect our personalities. Podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of information from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. James, that sounds pretty darn interesting.
1: I, t- I tell you, to, to somebody like myself who's kind of retired, I just like to listen to interesting things. And I hope th- these people are like polymaths. I mean, they <laughs> they deal with any kind of subject that's th- and they deal with things that you you probably never thought about yourself. And I'd be fasc- fascinating to listen to somebody who's not so much for any professional advancement, but but just for mental nourishment. I mean, it, it, what a what a What a neat thing that you got a repository like this that that curious people can go to and learn all kind of different stuff. You know, I mean, you got to learn to earn. But sometimes, you know, as I used to tell my students, you know, sometimes learning to
0: learn is fun, too. Boy, I didn't know you were retired, James. Uh, We'll find out. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about (laughs) that later. All right. Right. All right. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B, as in boy, I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And now we go to one of our favorite segments, maybe our favorite segment, um, other than our great guest, and that's listener questions. I hope you keep them coming in, listeners. Uh, We'll start off with John in Chicago, Illinois. He said, we need all hands on deck for this upcoming midterm election. Is Jamie Harrison the wrong man to lead the DNC, or does the blame lie with the poor leadership from the White House? You know, I don't, they asked some you know,
1: kinda of pissy critic. What did he think of Leroy Neiman? And the guy said, Well, frankly, I never think of Leroy Neiman. All right, i I I, I don't s I think the DNC I, I don't think it it matters that much who the chairman is. I, I really don't. I, I think we gotta look to the the, the the White House and the congressional leadership and other places for for, for to to try to win these elections but i you know we were fortunate in clinton campaign. we had ron brown who's a very very good chairman but i don't know how much a a great dnc chairman is worth uh, compared to an average one and uh, you know jamie's got to raise money he's got to keep the the doors open the place i'm i'm just not sure that that position is overly critical i think he's Confident, probably got good people over there. It's just not something looming very big in my mind.
0: Yeah, uh, there's obviously friction between uh, Jamie Harrison and the White House. Uh, That's not unprecedented. Uh, I think the one role that someone has to play, however, James, is the issue that you've raised. Uh, Schumer and Pelosi and uh, the people who run the DSCC, the DCCC, they'll, they'll be fine directing money to congressional candidates. Biden will help, but there's a you know a couple big gubernatorial big, uh, elections. But when you're getting outspent as big as you have noted for secretary of state, when you're not focusing on the North Carolina Supreme Court, when you're not focusing on some of these really, really important state and local races where the Republicans are outspending and outthinking you, that's where someone, a party chair of someone, can play some role in trying to persuade donors. This stuff matters. So uh, I I, I agree with you in general, it's not the most important job in the world, but it's a role that I hope Mr. Harrison will play.
1: You you know, when you're six points down in a congressional generic and your president said, of you know forty-one to eight. Everybody looks bad. That's we true.
0: Gotta, we got to pull together here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, hey, Michael know. in Muncie, Indiana. This is good. Right. He said. He said I've been on a right-wing radio station in St. Louis as a liberal Democrat arguing against the right-wing characters. I have a live debate coming up against Joe Hoft, who is nuttier than a squirrel turd. I, I've never met a squirrel turd, but I assume they're nutty. Coming up this nutty. this Thursday on the events any advice? This is on January 6th. Yeah, Michael, one thing, ask the uh, squirrel turd to make sure he has watched 24 hours at the Capitol on HBO uh, and ask him if he is really a champion of the of the men and women in blue, the police. And if he is, ask him to defend what happened when those people were brutally assaulted by that mob. I mean, that's good for starters.
1: Yeah, I, I, in, in every time that he mentions AOC, I'd bring up <laughs> Bobbitt or Bordery Taylor Green, or Paul Gosar, you know, right. or, or, or Jim Jordan. I mean, just go in with, you know, a, just a list of your hard counterpunches that you know that he can't answer. And, and don't accept the, 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 the turf that you're given. Make your own turf.
0: Good advice. Um, you know, I, I and I think, uh, I don't know, send us a note, will you? uh michael to let us know how that debate went all right we'd love to to find out Uh, we'll be be cheering for you uh next we have james in marin county california god what a beautiful uh, place that is it is gorgeous oh what is it he james asked that trumpsters actually want what kind of a country do mccarthy mcconnell green (laughs) gas trump all the others where they want to live in what will it look like if they're able to implement their agenda
1: well, I, I try not to think about nightmares, but it, it, it's hard not to. But you, you, you would have had a 40% increase, not reduction in child poverty. You would have had workers getting shafted over left and right. You would have had public health minister on the level that you wouldn't believe it. You would, you would be a, a, literally a satellite state of Moscow, of which no one wants to be. I don't know. Maybe I could think of more, but that's enough to make you stop
0: thinking, isn't it? Yeah, no, it sure is. And uh, at the same time, they're pretending they're populist. Uh, The rich would get richer. Tax breaks would be more generous. Uh, Regulations would be less. Uh, There would be more health hazards. Uh, But that's, you know, that's what they're that's what you'll get. So I'll tell you something, James, you and your neighbors. If you don't want that, you better turn out in November.
1: Yeah, you better look. You better, you better you better get on the stick and, and and be smart and send your money to the right places. <clears throat> Urge people to, you know, do the right things and tell the right stories.
0: Reed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, wants to know oh. why doesn't Biden push a bill that bars unvaccinated individuals from interstate flights and buses, and I would add trains. Shouldn't stronger action be taken. Reed um, I, I wouldn't be against that at all. I'd be for it, actually, as long as you put it, or testing. You know, before you get in a plane, a bus, or an interstate uh, train, you ought to be vaccinated or, trusted, or, or, or tested. I don't think the Supreme Court would allow him to do that. I and don't either. So, therefore, uh, I, I, I'm not sure he should expend much capital trying to get something done that's going to get knocked down.
1: What well, I wish he would do is pass a, a law to make you immune from liability if you punch some accident. Ax- unvaccinated person right in the faces, which I'd really like to do. If you ask me, when you know, what's my first reaction to you if you, you, you're you not vaccinated and, you, and you don't have any medical reason not to be, you're a piece of shit, okay? I'll just punch you right in the goddamn face. That's, that's the way I look at
0: these people. Agreed. James Peter from the People's Republic of Greenwich, Connecticut. He, he continues to be dismayed with Senator Chuck Schumer and his leadership. Peter says, we need a wartime consigliere. At best, he's a lackluster public speaker, no strength. Would his counterpart tolerate two recalcitrant senators who block their president's agenda? Well, when you have 50 senators, you don't have much.
1: All right, I, it, the only, the, the problem is not, to, to complain about Senator Schum. the problem is to get two or three more Democratic senators, and if you do that, and I, I pointed out in an interview I did, you know, P- President Roosevelt, President Clinton, President Obama came in with significant congressional majorities. It just—it's just a very difficult, and I'm not making excuses in anything, but it's just difficult in a 50-50 Senate to do to do very much, and it's not. To me, that the shame is not what they didn't do. The, the, the stunning thing is how much they actually got done.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, what are you going to do to those two senators? You want to kick them out of the party, James? Then you know what? Mitch McConnell's the majority leader. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I just I understand that people are frustrated, but it, it
1: put the frustration in the right place. And it's, it's, it's really not.
0: It's the fact that you have a 50-50 Senate. James, I'm going to combine two questions about the high court. Bill in Houston says, if Democrats win in 24, you realize that Biden will probably be able to replace the two oldest and most conservative justices, Alito and Thomas, and we'll finally have a liberal court majority. And uh, first of all, take that up, Bill. Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, they have a, uh, you know, again, read Jane Mayer's piece on her. There was a piece in the Post today building on that about the conflict of interest as she lobbies for all kinds of causes that uh, he, uh, he then adjudicates. She wouldn't let him leave. So, you know, they'll, 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 they'll have to carry him out. Uh, and the other question is Gordon in Norwood, in Norwood, Michigan, says, what would this court have done with Plessy if they had been in power? Uh, he says in 54, he means in 1896, or Brown in 54, or challenges to the civil right, 64 Civil Rights Act, what sort of a country would be if their judicial philosophy of originalism is held? We'd still have separate but equal, and it would be a phony equal, and I think that this court never could have put together what Earl Warren did. Gordon says, thank God for Earl Warren in 1954. Rights usually have been expanded by the court. They now are being curtailed. Oh, they
1: could be curtailed a lot more. If, if, if all they have to do, if they wanted to, is say the 14th Amendment is uh, is as it was, you know, for a long time, is not applicable to the states. So it, you're right, the federal government can't deny you a due process or equal protection of laws, but the state can. And it's said that the Constitution is actually silent on that. And uh, they, they that's how they got around this, is— is, 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 you know, applying, you know, making the state subject to the Equal Protection and Due Process Clause. They, they could do away with that easily. Easily. If they look at the state legislation. you know, in Baton Rouge, wants to resegregate the schools. That, that, that's their choice. There's nothing constitutionally impermissible about that.
0: Terrible thought. Jane, the yep. final one is, this is a really difficult one. Gene in Georgia, who I think is a Democrat— says, please address the issue of transgender athletes competing in women's sports. The Republicans are cleaning up on this. There's a House Bill 1041 by an Indiana Republican. She's, she's going to make us look like fools. Why do we have to look like fools? I worked so hard, Jean says, for the wins we got in 2020 and 2021 with Ossoff and Warnock. This transgender stuff is going to sink us like a boat. Anchor. You know, I... did. It, 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 it,
1: Six point six tenths percent of the population, and and just been people been horribly discriminated against. I, I'm, you know, the, the athletic associations should deal with this and kind of set the rules. But I, you know, and I saw this story about a a, a pin swimmer that you know was like beating all these records by by X Y Z. I, I, I think the the, the you know, we ought to get expert testimony on how to do this and the best way. And it, 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 it's a headline that affects it, – it's just something that, that needs to be dealt with. But I think it should be dealt with by the rules of local athletic administrators.
0: Yeah. Boy, it is a tough one. I agree. Okay. Please keep those uh, emails uh, and letters coming. Uh, we try to get to as many as we can. And if we didn't get to yours this week, hopefully we will next week. Hey, now more than ever, businesses are spread thin, but clients demand an instant response. So if you're losing leads from missed calls or web visitors that could grow your business, you need to delegate those frontline conversations to the best virtual receptionist service, Smith AI. It's not your average receptionist service. Smith AI provides businesses with award-winning virtual receptionists who handle your calls, chats, and texts to unlock new business at a fraction of the cost of hiring in-house staff. And since 2015, they've combined the best receptionists across North America with AI technology for superior business communications and customer engagement. Their friendly and professional agents screen leads using your custom criteria, schedule appointments on your calendar, and call back leads who complete the form. They do it all by phone seven days a week and on your website through their 24-7 live chat service. They even answer text and Facebook messages. I mean, how much time would you save, James? I don't, you know, I was—I listen to this. I was thinking when I was
1: a political consultant, yeah, and I was a, like a one-man shop. But I, if I'd had this, I'd have had two times the clients I had in my life. I mean, yeah, you know, you talk about something that's not going to cost you that much and just you don't miss anything. It elevates you. It's professional you know, it, it makes you sound like a bigger deal than you are, and that's okay, too. And that's what people like to feel. And it, but I, I know for, in my former profession, something like this would be invaluable.
0: You're not going to miss anything. Man, just think of how many presidents you could have elected man. I'll tell you, huh? Oh, wow. <laughs> Smith AI integrates with your preferred software, Salesforce, HubSpot, Calendly, Zapier, and thousands more keeping you off calls, but always in the loop. Plus, they have English and Spanish-speaking receptionists and will block spam for free, so no more annoying sales calls. Smith AI handles calls after hours or just your overflow, helping thousands of small businesses across a wide range of industries, including law firms, home service professionals, marketing agencies, and other service-based businesses and they're ready to help your business, too. Imagine work uninterrupted, running your business with less stress and getting more leads from your marketing efforts. Smith AI pays for itself and then some with all the new clients their receptionists help you win. You'll never miss another lead. You'll boost revenue, increase your focus at work, and keep your staffing costs down. It's as simple as forwarding your calls to Smith AI. Plans start at just 240 bucks a month Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why business owners like Justine Nicole say Smith AI receptionists are her secret to business growth and client happiness. And our listeners, listen to this, will save $100 when you sign up using our promo code WARROOM at Smith.AI. Visit Smith.AI to read five-star reviews and be sure to use our code WARROOM to save $100 at sign up. Don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI or look for the link in our show notes. Hey, now for the outrage of the week. James, you remember reading about the 1933 Nazi book burning, which left no doubt where that horrible regime was headed. Now, I don't draw a direct like direct parallels. But you know, when a society starts to ban great, good, or even mediocre books, it's dangerous. But today, there's a pervasive, predominantly, though not exclusively, right-wing campaign to ban books they deem offensive. Books about Martin Luther King, Toni Morrison's Beloved, or any work that touches on sexual activity, gender identity, or racial shame is targeted. A Tennessee school board, went after Mouse, the celebrated nonfiction comic book about the Holocaust because it contained curse words and nude images. I imagine they wanted those those poor people going to the gas chambers to have clothes on. I mean, just it's unbelievable that they would do that to those kids. And then Virginia's new governor, uh, Glenn Youngkin, we were told this private equity guy would be more reasonable. He set up a hotline for citizens to call and to complain about teachers exposing children to bad stuff. I guess that's really more like Cold War East Germany. I, I I just think this is a really, really dangerous trend, James. Well, I think it's
1: horrible to ban bad books. Yeah. Right. It, 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 the, the other thing is is that... I actually would, I think you would want to, I would want my children, I would want my students to know about the Holocaust. I would want them to know about slavery. I would want them to know about Jim Crow. I would want them to know about what LBGQT people went through. I mean, I always tell my students, I'm not, we're not here for your comfort, the hell with your comfort. And and this is absurd. they have to know what happened in, in, around the world and know, to, know what happened in the country. And, you know, and people keep saying, well, if you don't study history, it's going to repeat itself. Well, yeah. And if you don't study, you know, racism and anti-Semitism and, you know, gender bias and everything else, guess what? You're going to have more of it.
0: Right. I mean, right.
1: It, it, the whole edifice, the whole intellectual process that this goes through is just so flawed. It's sickening. It sure they ought is. Don't teach people about it.
0: Right. Right.
1: God damn, it's a big part of the history of this country.
0: Agreed. Yeah. You know? You have an outrage you want me to add to this? No, I'm, just, I'm just adding to yours. I, yours well, I, is- you know, I'll add one more. This is overwhelmingly a right-wing problem, but I'm not going to let off the left, James. There have been moves to ban Tom Sawyer and, and to kill a mockingbird. Uh, that's just as offensive. It's just not as prevalent today. Don't ban books. All right. That, that's so... The whole thing is so
1: silly that you know that's a, a, a minor sliver of left of center people right the, the, these, you know Glenn Youngkin is not a sliver of anything. hes a, he's the governor it's a, right. it, it, it's a it's not even remotely, but the, yes, the, the left-wing orthodoxy is just, is just ridiculous. It's just it, much more. I, mean, I agree, writes, I agree. be honest I agree. with you. everybody hates him
0: hey thanks for listening to politics war room with james carville i'm al hunt don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at politicon following this episode we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors stamps The Jordan Harbinger Show, and Smith AI in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.